This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking Labels podcast. I'm your host, Rosanna Gill, and I am so grateful and excited that you're here. You are in for a treat. I say that every week, and I say that I say that every week, but you are. I'm so, so excited for you to hear this conversation with Kimberly Beam Holmes. You will hear from my intro. She's the CEO of Marriage Helper. Just a fun conversation, but man, did we cover it all. We talked about infidelity. We talked about repairing a marriage that is that seems like it's beyond the brink, beyond any help whatsoever. We talked about even how some of the things that she and, well, her program does for couples, how it could even help single people. We talked about love bombing. I I mean, so much. Such a fun episode. So much information. So you're really going to enjoy it. And if you know somebody who is going through something, you know, and let's be honest, it happens, especially if you're married or if you're in a long-term relationship, there's ebbs and flows. And if you know a couple that could stand to listen to this episode just to kind of dip their toe in it, and then hopefully that maybe they'll listen to Kimberly's podcast and even maybe you go to the website marriagehelper.com and see what resources are available there. So share this episode far and wide to any couples or any people you know could use it. But before we jump into the episode, I did want to let you know our partner for this week's episode, and that is True, spelled T-R-U, Supplements. If you are a longtime listener of the podcast, you have heard me talk about them for a while. They are a brand of vegan supplements. And they have everything from metabolism powder to energize booster to multivitamins to my favorite, the vegan protein powders. And you might be wondering, why would somebody care about vegan protein powders? Well, especially now that it's coming into the summer, sometimes I just like to have a shake because it's easy. Uh, AKA I'm a little bit lazy and I don't feel like cooking. And it's just an easy, refreshing meal. That's how I personally love to have it. But you can also just have it as a snack. It's just easy and on the go. And I always add mixed berries to mine. But now I'm getting too in deep into how I make a shake. What you really need to know about is their vegan protein powders. The reason I really love this brand is because I have tested a lot of vegan protein powder because I prefer the texture to whey protein. I do not, however, prefer the taste of most vegan protein powders because a lot of them just don't taste good and they don't like, they don't taste the way they say they will. And I just kind of got to a point where I figured if I want a vegan protein powder, I'm just gonna have to sacrifice all the fun flavors that you get with whey protein powders. Not true with true supplements, my friends, because my personal favorite is the peanut butter banana. Mm, Love me some peanut butter banana. But they also have a blueberry cobbler. They have a banana maple muffin. They have a vanilla chai latte. They also have a, I think it's a pumpkin spice one that's come out. I mean, the flavors. 
So fun. They also have a birthday cake one. Haven't tried that one yet. I should. That sounds like a fun flavor. And if I want a fun flavor for the summer, why not birthday cake? So the point is, you have such a larger array of good, good flavors than you do with typical vegan protein powders. Now, this is the part where my little plug for them gets a little odd, but I gotta be honest. I don't want you to try the vanilla one because if you don't like it, just like I didn't like it, you might blame me. So I'm letting you know right now, my least favorite flavor that I have tried of theirs is the vanilla. I just didn't like it. So don't go ordering that one and then be mad at me. But I will put my name behind any of the other flavors that I just mentioned because those are yummy. Yummy. Just use the link in the show notes and when you check out, use the code breaking labels and you will get a 5% discount. All right, with that, let's get into this fun conversation with Kimberly. So I'm very, very happy to have Kimberly Holmes today on the Breaking Labels podcast. She is the CEO of Marriage Helpers and has a master's in psychology with an emphasis. Well, I don't know if you have an emphasis, but you definitely specialize in helping people fall in love, fall more in love. And my first question is, with a master's in psychology, why love? <laughs> that's a good, that's a good question. So yes, I do have my master's in psychology. I'm also currently getting my PhD in psychology right now in performance psychology, ironically enough, which again, you could beg the question of, so you do relationship stuff and performance psychology and how does all of this go together? Well, the reason that I got involved in the first place in working with relationships is actually because um, I believe that I owe my life to a relationship being saved. And here's what I mean by that. So my parents were married, got married in the, I, I actually don't know when they first got married. I think 1969 was when they, was when they got married the first time had two children and my dad ended up divorcing my mom. They were divorced for three years. And after that three years, my dad went, well, he would say that he did things he never thought he'd do, uh, took things he never thought he'd take, went places he never thought he'd go and became a person that he ultimately didn't know who he was anymore. And he kind of had this wake up at the end of that three years and realized that the life he thought that he had divorced my mom for to find and to have was not nothing like what he expected it to be. So he went back to my mom and said, will you take me back. Will you remarry me? And she, they had been divorced three years. She had moved on. My two older sisters mm -hmm. were, had gone through that, um, all of that stuff. So she was dating again, but she said, you know what? I believe that this is a good man who has done some bad things. And I believe the right thing to do is to try and make this work again. So they got remarried and didn't love each other at that time but they figured out how to fall back in love with it, with each other. And now are, I mean, they've been married this second time for 35 years. They have an amazing relationship, strong, healthy. But one of the things that happened after that, well, there's two things. So this first thing that happened after they got remarried is they said, we want to have a celebration of our remarriage, which is where I come in. Oh. <laughs> so, so I am that celebration of their second marriage. So looking backwards, I know that I owe my life to a relationship, figuring out how to work together and stay committed and be healthy long-term. But the second thing that came from that was 
that my parents said, how can we use what we have been through to help other people not have to experience what we experience? And so in 1999, my dad, who is a researcher, he also has his PhD in sexology. Just imagine growing up with a sexologist for a father. That was, that was interesting. So he's awkward stories. Oh girl, you have no idea. The dinner conversations that we had talk about sex education, but so he was all these things, an author, an international speaker. And in 1999, he started this workshop for marriages that has now been around for 22 years and has over a 70% success rate at saving marriages. That's huge. That it's, it's huge. It's amazing. So I'm, I, I ended up getting my master's in psychology, but actually started getting my master's in marriage and family therapy. So I'm trained as an MFT but I ended up not wanting to be a therapist I, and wanted to just do general psychology. But all that to say, I mean, even with my AAMFT training and when I would see counselor or when I would see couples in my clinicals, it's difficult. And even the marriage and family therapy gold standard is a 50% success rate after working with couples for a year and a 30% success rate after working with couples for two years. And our workshop has over a 70% success rate, even up to seven years after someone has gone through our workshop. So it's a pretty incredible thing that we do. But all of it boils down to what we do at Marriage Helper is we teach people how to fall in love, how to have really great and strong relationships, and how to become the best that you can be to show up and be the best in that relationship that you have. So that's a long answer to say, why psychology and relationships? Because so much about relationships has to do with how we think, how we respond, how we interpret our, our past and the world around us. And so it's definitely informed what I know and how I work with, with couples and the things that we do at Marriage Helper. Um, but it's also helped me to become a better me. So I have so many questions. I don't know where to start. <laughs> Whatever you want. Okay. So one, one of the things, the many things that you said that just kind of blew my mind a minute is you said they got married and they didn't love each other. Yeah. At that time, when they got remarried, they did not love each other. Let me rephrase it. They did not feel in love with each other. So that, that feeling of this is great. This is butterflies there, the Mm. chemistry. So that was not there. They loved each other in the sense that this was the, the father of the children and the mother of the children and caring about that person. I do believe they had that, but there were not these feelings of this is, this is who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. It was a work in progress to get there. A lot of people really, really love the the parent, the other parent of their children, but would never, ever, ever consider getting back with them. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think that they did that? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, cause you can mutually respect and adore somebody. And, and I've, I, you hear this all the time. Like I have love for them. Yeah. But they would never, ever, ever go down that the romantic road again. I mean, how many people come right. to you that are at that place where I have tremendous love and respect for this person, but I have no desire to actually be with them? Yeah. I mean, I kind of always thought that was the, a nail in a coffin. Like there was no coming back from that. Oh, there's 
there is coming back from that, but it's the choice that someone makes in their mind first. So I will say, I will say this. Yes, there are a lot of people in many situations and many that we have worked with where, where the, the overriding sentiment is there's been so much hurt and pain. It's better to just move on. It's better to just start over, go forward and, and move ahead. And here's what we teach and what we believe at Marriage Helper is that no matter what happens, especially when there's kid in, kids involved, no matter what happens, you're going to continue to be connected to each other by co-parenting, by seeing each other every other weekend, all of those things. And every person that you enter into a relationship with, there's going to be a set of problems. You're marrying a set of problems. Anytime you get married, yeah. I've got problems. <laughs> We've all have problems, right? No one's perfect. So instead of just saying, let me just start over to where it'll be easier next time. What we encourage people to, to think and consider is, why not trying to make this one work first? Because at least you know what has happened. And in moving forward, if you can at least find healing and forgiveness, then even mm. if you do end up not getting back together, or if for people who aren't divorced yet, even if you end up divorcing, then at least you will know you tried what you could and you did your best. And the things that you learn in that process is also gonna give you a different perspective of relationships. So what I believe we see a lot right now in our society is this, is this belief of if it's hard, throw it away, start over. If it's difficult, just move on. Someone else will make you happier. Mm. But we end up seeing a lot of people who are just continually frustrated and, and unhappy because any relationship takes work. Every relationship takes work. None of them are easy. Mm -hmm. Depending on your personality temperament, some of them may be easier than others, depending on how the personality temperaments move together, but none of them are, are going to be perfect. And so how do we teach people to enter into relationships with the mindset of how do I do, how do I commit to this for life and do mm -hmm. what you can to try and make it work. And then even if you try and it ends up not working, that's one thing. That's that, I mean, still we, 30% of the people we work with, they're going to end up divorced. We don't necessarily consider that a failure because we believe both people will have learned so much about themselves and how to have a healthy relationship that their next relationship yes. will be even better. I could definitely see that. I mean, because also, and I would, well, okay. Let me not assume. Let me just ask the people who end up getting a divorce mm -hmm. by that point, once they've gone through this process and they've seen maybe the breakdowns in communication or the things that they could respect about each other or want to respect about all of that, how many of them at least still have a better working relationship by the end of it than they did coming into it? Even if they decide that they don't want to maintain a marriage. Yeah most of them at least are going to be able to leave with being able to respect each other, treat each other better, not fight as much, or at least know how to fight better when they fight. Ooh. And all of those things are, are helpful, especially when you're co-parenting, especially, mm -hmm. but even for just general well-being, I mean, even for just knowing how to be the best person in a relationship, for every relationship that you have, those principles are going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. 
I'm curious, do you ever have single people that come to you and say like, you know, what do I need to do or be to attract a mate? Do you ever, I know it's marriage helpers, but I still feel like single people could stand to learn what it takes or what they need to do to be in a a healthy relationship so they can find a good mate, a a, a compatible mate. Absolutely. So do people come to us and ask that? No, not really. And not often. However, I do believe that is a crucial part of the conversation that we need to start having more of because a lot of people are, are searching and are looking. We are at a point now in America where for the first time ever, over 50% of the adult population is single. And what's interesting about that is that most of the single people don't want to be single. Many of them want to be in a long-term committed relationship. They want to be married, but what they're finding so difficult is that they will find someone who will use them, but they're not finding someone who will really love them and stay committed to them. So how do you attract those people? Well, like attracts like. We typically are going to attract the kind of people that are more like us or more like what we want to be. And so what we teach at Marriage Helper is there's a process to falling in love. The process is four stages long, but the very first stage of falling in love and the very first step to falling in love is attraction. And it's not just physical. It's not just what someone looks like. That's part of it, but it's not the most important part. Because in fact, there's four areas and we call it the pies of attraction. And it stands for physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. And these are all four areas that when we're teaching people, even who are already in a relationship and already married, if you're wanting to continue, continue to attract your spouse to you, these are important. But even if you're single and you're wanting to attract someone to you, then these are definitely important there too. And we can talk about each of them if you want. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So the first one, the physical is, is not about just what does someone look like, Mm -hmm. but it's really, if I'm, if I'm thinking about myself and my physical attraction, then I should ask myself the question, do I feel the best that I can for my age and situation in life? Mm -hmm. So am I getting enough sleep? Do I have enough mental energy and clarity through my day? Am I eating the right foods to where I feel good throughout my day that I'm showing up well in my relationships because of how I feel? I know for me, if I don't get good sleep, if I miss my exercise, if I eat crappy food, I am not fun to be around and I don't feel good. Like I just don't feel good about myself. So working towards feeling the best you can for your body and for where you are, that will make you more physically attractive. Intellectual attraction, this asks the question, am I a fascinating person to talk to? So have you ever, um, I get, so sometimes I get like social anxiety kind of, because I have this really bad fear that I'm going to be like at a dinner party or something that I'm going to end up talking to someone who is absolutely boring. Have you ever (laughs) experienced this? I worked in outside sales. Yes. For 12 (laughs) years. Yeah, definitely happened. You totally get it. But there are some people where you just feel like you're trying your best to try and get the conversation to flow and they are just duds. Like there's a lead balloon. (laughs) Exactly. It just keeps falling. And so what we want to do to be attractive, I mean, the people I love talking to are typically people who 
it's easy to talk to them. They have multiple things in their life they're interested in, different types of hobbies. Maybe they've traveled different places. They have life experiences that they care to share and talk about. They have decent people skills, right? Like knowing how to look someone in the eye and smile. And so looking inward and asking that about me, then the question is, how am I a fascinating person to talk to? What have I been learning lately? What have I been trying? Where have I gone? What experiences have I had that someone would find interesting and not to talk always about me? We never want to do that. But at least when in, when we're in that conversation, we have multifaceted interests that make us a multifaceted person. So it's kind of, as we go through these, you're going to see, it's kind of like peeling back layers of an onion. So if physical attractions, the shell, then as you continue to peel it backwards, you're getting closer to the core. So physical is what I see in someone intellectual is talking to them and what they think. And that leads us to emotional attraction. And this is all about, do I evoke emotions within another person that they enjoy feeling? So this is the heart of a person. And we've all been around those people. I know I have that they're always just negative. Yeah. Or I shoot, I've been this person before who's always just negative. They're Debbie Downers, they're jealous, and or they say they're constantly criticizing you or other people. And we just don't like the way we feel when we're around them. I remember when my husband and I first started dating. This was 11 years ago, which is crazy to think about. When we first started dating and he would open every door for me. He would send me flowers. He would call me and we would talk for just, we were a long distance relationship. So we would talk for probably five hours at a time, like some ungodly amount. And so, but I loved the way it made me feel when he would open the door, when he would do those types of things for me. And so when we're looking at emotional attraction and asking ourselves, am I evoking emotions within others that they enjoy feeling? What we're really asking ourselves to assess about ourselves is, is what I am doing really evoking a positive response from the other person? Do they want to be around me because of how I treat them? Or am I constantly on my phone and not looking at them? Or am I constantly um, criticizing them for something that they did wrong? Those are not emotionally attractive and ultimately we'll end up pushing people away. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth area of attraction is spiritual attraction. So this is the soul of someone. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with someone's faith, although a person's faith will definitely inform what their beliefs and values are, but it really has more to do with what does a person find important in their life? What are the things they are passionate about? What makes them angry? What change do they want to see happen in the world? And so this is really when you start to get to know the core of a person, what mm -hmm. really drives them. And we tend to be attracted to people who we see having similar beliefs and values as we do, mm -hmm. or having better beliefs and values than we do. Oh. And so when we have these things that, that we care about, it gets us to start thinking, first of all, not about ourselves. It gets mm -hmm. us to start thinking about the community, about other people. And, and this is where this, this is where amazing things can happen when focusing on your spiritual attraction, because you get, you begin to get out of your head and into the hearts of the, the people around you. So all four of these physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, we call it the pies 
are all things that are kind of just an easy framework for people to look at on a daily basis and say, what am I doing to become the best I can be in each of these areas? What can I do to continue to move forward? And it will make someone more attractive. If they work on becoming the best they can in all four of those areas, they'll be a more attractive person and they will attract, if they are single, they will attract people that are more like that. And if they're married, then they are going to number one, be more attractive to their spouse. But number two, over time, they're going to influence their spouse to want to work on themselves as well. And it'll rub off on the other person. And that person will see the positive benefit of it as well. So it were, it's a win, win, win all around. So I saw on your website, like how, you know, you, how you could win somebody back who wants to leave the relationship. I'm assuming applying the pies is how you do that. That's how you win somebody back. It's by focusing on yourself and those four tenants, correct? 100% correct. That completely makes sense. It's not chasing them. It's uh-uh. being a better version or the best version of yourself. And, and that it, it makes so much sense because if they fell in love with you at one point, right? they're going to see this blossoming and this evolution of you and be drawn to that again, I would think. Yes. Yes. That is very much correct. And that's one of the things we tell people they've fallen in love with you once they can fall in love with you again. But the other part of it is we change over time. So my husband and I have been married 10 years this year and I am different. I thank you. I am different now than I was 10 years ago. But the, there are still fundamental aspects of me that he was attracted to then that he would be attracted to now because it's the core of who I am. It's the, you know, the core of who even looking at him is the core of who he is. And so those things can attract your spouse back to you again. And I love how you said it. It's not chasing the other person. If you think of it like a magnet, there's one side of the magnet that repels, And when we typically, typically when we see someone running away, we start doing these behaviors to try and get them to stay, but it really just ends up repelling them even more. We want to turn that magnet around and we want to attract, we want to do pulls. We want to try and pull them back to us by just, they can't resist how great we make them feel, how much they want to be around us. And it's magnetizing them back to us. So at one point, Actually, the reason I left Florida and moved to Tennessee was because I went through a pretty bad breakup and Mm -hmm. towards the end of it, he was pulling away and I was chasing. And then finally I was like, okay, I don't want this. Like, I don't, I don't want to be in this situation. When I made that decision, guess how the tables turned. And when I was like, oh, I'm going to move for my career. I'm going to do this. And I wasn't focusing on him. Then all of a sudden there was an attraction again. And over the years, he would still reach out. And I'm like, why are you doing it? Like, this is not going to happen. But there would always be a little part of me that was like, maybe. And then I was like, no, 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 no. But it's just, it just was always crazy to me. And I'm like, when I, and it, I saw that a few times over the course of my singledom, yeah. When I would stop being interested and just focus on doing me and like really doing me, not like the single girl, I'm doing me, but I'm posting pictures to pretend I'm doing me. So you'll see I'm doing me and you'll wonder what I'm doing. You know, that's what, like not you doing weren't playing the game. You weren't right. playing the game. <laughs> oh, I was all up in that horrible game. And I was really bad at it. Really, really bad. And I, it, I, it only ever worked when I wasn't actually trying to play the game. I was right. just, what can I do to better myself? I'm, yeah. I'm on my own, doing my own thing. What do I want to do? 
So it, yeah. it makes complete sense that that would make, it would be the same. Like if you're trying to resurrect a relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it builds confidence yes. and confidence is attractive. It's not attractive when you feel like someone is crawling after you, begging you, whining after you, right? Like that is the most unattractive, but we do that when we're scared and we feel like we're going to be abandoned and we don't want to be alone. And it's this very primal psychological response within us that, that we learned as kids, which is, I mean, during those ages of separation anxiety, if I cry for my mom, maybe she will feel bad and not leave me. And that works when we're three but it doesn't work when we're 33 and we're doing those same kinds of things. What works instead is to realize you have worth no matter what your relationship status is. And so believe that, believe in yourself, work on becoming the best you can be. And that is what is attractive. Now, what about the couples where like Let's, I mean, let's say they've been together 20, 30 years. So there's a lot of offense that's been done, mm-hmm. a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of unspoken, what's the word? Um, I mean, I don't want to be redundant, but unspoken offenses, like things where it's like things have built up. Maybe they haven't communicated it, but hmm? resentment. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Resentment. That is it. How do you come back from that? Because at that point, is it enough to just work on your best self? Because- mm there's still all these issues, these unresolved issues and resentments. Yeah. Yeah. So working on yourself, becoming the best you can be, that's the first part of the love path. Right. And Mm -hmm. it works. So especially in a situation where initially you're in like the situations we work with. So if initially you have a spouse who's completely disengaged, wants out, wants a divorce, then of course we say the, you, the first thing and the only thing you can do right now is work on you. But only working on you for the next 10 years is not going to be the only thing you do that will help save that marriage and turn it around. It's an amazing first step. I mean, you're probably 30% of the way there by just doing that, but eventually the other person will need to re-engage it to some extent in order for there to be conversation in order to, to see how you can move things forward. But so all of, so the answer is yes. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, things build up. People stuff things down until they can't anymore. And it all comes to a head. We saw a lot of this last year when (gasps) all of a sudden couples are stuck together. Oh my God. And they can't escape each other. And so now the things they've swept under the rug that life didn't make them address, they had to address. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to talk about those things without hurting each other, it's only going to end up making things worse because typically we'll hold in resentment so long until it kind of explodes like a volcano. And then you say a bunch of things that you'll regret and, and the conversation never goes well. So is it enough to only work on yourself? That was your question. I'm going all over the place. Is it enough to only work on yourself without, will that handle the resentments? I think it puts us in a, a better state of mind to where we're not only focused on the relationship, but another part of it is understanding how to forgive, number one, and number two, empathize with what the other person in the relationship has gone through or what their perspective of it was, owning what your part of it was, not more than that, owning what your part of it was and realizing 
what you can do to make it better, but not living in the past either. So one of the reasons that marriage counseling can be so difficult is because there's a lot of focus on unhashing the past and living in the past, but the past is the past. And other than just talking about it, you can't fix it. What you can fix is having a vision for where you want your marriage to go in the future and working towards getting there. Does that mean you don't talk about past offenses and things that have hurt from the past? No, you need to talk about that, but you don't live there. You need to only talk about it as much as it takes for both parties to feel heard Mm -hmm. and understood and then forgive, choose to not hold on to it and then look forward and make a plan for growth moving forward. So, okay. That makes complete sense for a lot of reasons, but I'm still very curious, even if somebody owns something, like the thing that pops in my mind is infidelity Mm -hmm. because somebody can acknowledge, like I did this, I was wrong. I know I hurt you, Mm -hmm. but how do you repair the trust Mm. that's been lost? Yeah. Even if you acknowledge it, that can't necessarily like yeah. if, if trust was a, a, like a little like temperature gauge, right. That's not going to bring the trust level back up just because you acknowledge it. And even if the person who is quote, like not, I don't want to say victim, that's not the word, but the one who was cheated on, right. Yeah. There, even if they acknowledge their part in it, maybe yeah. whatever their part may have been in this situation, it doesn't mm-hmm. change the trust level. So how do you address that? Great question. Trust has to be rebuilt over time. And it also has to be open and accountable. So you're not, you're right. The, the betrayed spouse is not overnight just going to say, and I hundred percent trust you again. It's probably going to take a couple of years. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. But here's what has to be paired with that from the other person. We would call it the offending spouse. So from the person who has had the affair, they have to be a willing to make everything transparent, give the phone password, give the email password, social media, you know, call me where if I'm out and I will FaceTime you where I am at. So they have to be willing to be a hundred percent transparent for a set period of time. So for six months, for a year, because you can't live like that forever. Like you originally, you eventually have to get to the point where there is a rebuilding of trust. Um, but for a period of time, they have to be willing to do that because that is what's going to help build the trust from the other person's side of things. And then over time, you will rebuild the trust, especially if you're choosing to, especially if there's those, all of those other things are in place where you've been working on the relationship, your spouse is being accountable, they haven't hidden anything from you. Then over time, you're willing you're willing to trust them. And then you have boundaries put in place where if things start to be shady again, so there's typically, you didn't ask this, but typically there are about five things that indicate a person is involved in an affair. So you start looking at, is there missing time or missing money? Are they acting different than they used to? Like if And that could be that they're more distant than they used to be. It could also be that they are way more engaged with you than they used to be. 
out of feelings of guilt. Sometimes people become overly, <laughs> overly engaged. Um, and so you're looking for them having like a change in attitude. And again, none of these by themselves is an indicate of an affair. But when you start putting a lot of these together, then you start seeing, hmm, something's going on, especially the missing time and missing money. Those are the ones where if you can't account for those things, you really need to be wondering if there's something going on there. And we have a whole YouTube video about this on our marital for YouTube, but we're, we're so, so if those things just start to happen again, and a lot of people will know, like they'll remember the things that their spouse was doing before the affair and before they found out that are kind of these triggers. And so if those things start to happen again, then you have boundaries set in place where, where you would go to them and say, are you involved in an affair again? You know, tell me the truth. And then you would have a way to work from it from there. But all of these all of this is, is way more intricate than just this quick answer that I'm giving. But the bottom line of it is it takes time and it takes effort. Okay. I, that's sort of a relief because I've especially is like seen d- different situations with friends over the years and where, where infidelity happens. And within a couple months, the, the offending um, partner is like, well, why don't you trust me? And I'm like, I don't, maybe I'm crazy, but I feel like it takes more than a couple months. So when you said a couple years, I was like, that tracks. That tracks. <laughs> that sounds a lot more like it. Yes. Now I get yeah. it. If like, you've only been together for a few months, then all right. But still yeah. now I'm wondering what are, what have you seen are some of the common reasons that people do cheat? Because it's not always just opportunity. And I, I don't actually, I would venture to guess that's a pretty small percentage of it, actually. But curious to hear it from a professional perspective. Yeah. So there are three main types of affairs that people have. So one of them is what we would call the one night stand. So this one is more of the wrong place, wrong time kind of thing where it was, it probably, unless the person is some kind of sexual pursuer, Mm -hmm. then it probably was not planned. It really probably was just a totality of the circumstances of that night. And they made a grievous error. So there's the one night stand affair. The second one is the allowed affair. So we're seeing this more with open relationships where there's the wife swapping or swinging or the things like that, where both of them are are saying, you go sleep with someone else, I'll sleep with someone else. And a lot of people are doing that at first because it's fun and they want to spice up their sex life. And, but more times than not, I mean, majority of the time, they're going to end up having feelings for another person. And then it's not so fun anymore. And then the person who agreed to do it is wishing they had never agreed to do it. And a lot of times there's one spouse who's kind of forcing the other spouse into that. There's typically one spouse who wants to do it and typically one who doesn't, but the one who doesn't feels like they should in order to keep the other one happy. Mm -hmm. And so I never recommend people do that. It causes way more hurt than than anything you're going to get from it but that's the second kind. And then the third one is what we would call an emotional affair or relationship affair. And so this one is the one where, where people say, but I'm madly in love with this person. They understand me in a way no one else has. Um, You know, this is, 
this is, I never felt this way about my wife or my husband. Like this, I feel so much more towards this person than I ever did before. And that is typically developed over a period of time because the person didn't put up personal walls with that person and they started to become friends and then they started to talk about their feelings with each other and then they became best friends and then it became physical and now it's this is the person I love Mm -hmm. and that one is like you said it's not they weren't looking for an opportunity but there was probably something already not going well in their marriage that led them to being vulnerable to this happening. Not always though, because there are definitely times when people have great marriages, great sex lives, great, Mm -hmm. all of the things, and they still get involved with this because it's new and it feels exciting. So those are the three kinds of affairs. So opportunity could be part of it. Part that could be one reason someone enters into an affair or why they cheat. But most of the time it's because they were vulnerable and didn't realize it. And they didn't put up the safeguards they needed to not be pulled in to an affair. How many have, have you dealt with a lot of situations where somebody has an affair and then they have all these feelings towards this person and break up with their original spouse, get with the person they had the affair with, and then down the road are coming for help. Like with the one they had the affair with, mm -hmm. like all of a sudden it's like, oh gosh, maybe it wasn't about the person after all. Mm Mm-hmm. Does that, is that common or no? So we have had people that have divorced. I'll tell you a couple of different situations. So we have had the people who have been in an affair, divorced their spouse, married the affair partner, and then end up coming to us because they're now having problems. And of course, so a marriage helper, we try and help the marriage that they're in. So it's right. no good to say, well, divorce now and go back because it, then you're, it's just making things worse. So, but th- there have been in the people in those situations where they have that realization of, oh my goodness, what did I do? And that's how this marriage started which makes it a little more difficult. We actually know from research that the second marriage has a much higher rate of ending in divorce than the first. So if the first one averages at 50% divorce rate, the second one is about 67 to 70% divorce. And a third marriage has an 85% divorce rate. Holy shnikes. I kind of thought it was going to go the opposite. No. Oh, wow. That surprises me. Yeah. But if you think about it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like that sense of, well, once you've ended it once, it's easier to make the decision to end it a second time. And that makes it even easier decision to end it the third time. Well, at what point do we wonder who the common denominator was in all those? This is, are we not going to wonder that? (laughs) Maybe after the third. I mean, that's the whole part of the reason I got into therapy in the first place was I had some, some friendships that went south and I was like, well, there's one person that's been in both these friendships that didn't end so great. Like, I think this is a me issue, you know, <laughs> I would think, would think that at some point in the relationships, like they can't always be, and, and not to say that the, again, everybody's flawed, right? So yes, yeah. your partner's going to have problems. They're going to have like yeah. things that you don't love about them or you don't like about them, whatever it may be. But at some point, 
Yeah. I wonder what the statistic is for a fourth marriage. By that point, you're just probably exhausted. So you stay maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I think the researchers said we, it's too much. We, we can't just keep going down this track. In all seriousness, no, though, like what are, I guess the biggest deciding factors in, in the divorces, um, in divorce in general, is it, is it just falling out of love? Is it infidelity? What do you see as being the, 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 most common causes? Mm -hmm. It's really difficult from a symptom perspective to know exactly why people divorce because America stopped requiring people to say the reasons that they were divorcing quite a while ago. And a lot of things can fall under irreconcilable differences, which is what does that even mean? I feel like my husband have irreconcilable differences daily. So, so I don't know that's a valid, that that's a valid one. But when we look at the research that's come from the University of Washington, they did great research over tens of thousands of couples and marriages and seeing why people divorce. And in-laws, parenting, finances, those weren't the reasons. The actual reasons that people divorce is because they either do not feel liked, loved, or respected. Oh, Everything else falls into one of those three things. Either my partner or my spouse feels like I don't love them anymore, that I just am treating them like I don't even like them, or I'm not not respecting their decisions or the things that they want to do. And so all of us want to feel liked, loved, and respected. Mm -hmm. Especially from your partner. Especially from the person you're spending the rest of your life with. Yes. That makes that's that goes back to one of those. And I actually had this moment earlier today where I was really upset about something and I had to have some alone time. And I was like, this is not, it's not about what it's about. Like the thing that I was upset about was just like this like superfluous thing, right? It was more about a bigger issue and a bigger feeling that I felt. But I think it's so easy to blame it on the little things, like the stuff that's easy to argue about, as opposed to having to like actually unpack vulnerability and unpack, like, I don't know if I feel appreciated, you know, cause that one, that's all, that's a, that's a, not a loaded conversation, but it's not one you can have in a text message. <laughs> yeah. Probably shouldn't. <laughs> shouldn't have it in a text message. No, oh. you're totally right. I'm very curious. So, I mean, you have all this expertise, you grew up in a, your father's a sexologist, um, and you've been in this world, right? Pretty much all your life. How on earth did that impact your dating? Because gosh almighty, talk about some pressure. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> I don't think, so dating wise, yeah. I think my sister had it worse than me. And here's why. Oh. Because she dated a lot of people. She was one of those, like, I'll just go on dates with all these different guys. And my dad- would sit them down. I mean, it was the classic, you have to come sit down and talk to me for <laughs> every single date, but I didn't date a lot. So I was different from my sister. in the fact I'd had more just long-term boyfriends in high school and in college. So there's maybe like four or five guys before my husband, his name is Rob. But when Rob came into the picture and he decided that you know, or we had, you know, talked about getting married. We, we knew it was going to head that way. And my dad went to go ask for my hand in marriage or Rob went to go ask my dad for my hand in marriage. 
So my dad told him, and I tell him all the time, like, dad, you ruined him because my dad that night told him you, Kimberly has a very strong personality. Do not ever let her run over you. And my husband, when we were dating, was so nice and kind and trainable. And then (laughs) we get married. And then from that day on, he he started standing up more to me, saying, No, Kimberly, that's not how we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it this way. Like my father ruined my husband. But he didn't because he knew that I had to have that kind of man to respect him long term. So yes, my father has been quite the person, but I will say he is not. So for marriage, he's also the kind of person who, um, he's really good at not taking sides. So I could even go to him or Rob could go to him with marriage advice. And he's not going to just be on my side. Cause I'm his daughter. Oh, I respect that. That is, that's awesome. I it's think it's really important, right? For both yeah. of you. Yeah, it is. It is. And both my parents have been that way. I mean, you need, I feel like what is the point of having friends and family who are just yes people who never tell you when you're wrong? Like we are wrong sometimes and we need people who love us to tell us that I would rather it's going to suck, but I would, I would rather hear it from somebody who I know is telling me because they want the best for me Mm -hmm. and love me than from some rando who I can just like dismiss and be like, well, they don't know me my family knows me. And if they call me out, then it means something. Yeah. Yeah. I just still feel okay. But how frustrating must it be for your husband to argue with you? I mean, you are the marriage guru, the marriage. I I'm getting mad on his behalf. I could just imagine like, I'm not arguing with you. (laughs) I'm not even going to bother. Oh, um, we argue. So (laughs) (laughs) it does not stop him. But here, so here's the other thing we, my husband and I, according to the disc profile, are you, are you familiar with disc personality temperaments? I've heard of this, but I am not familiar with it. We, that's what we use at marriage helper and we love it. But basically people are going to fall in one of four categories and it's broken down by these two questions and I'll ask them to you and, and have you answer them. So would you consider yourself in terms of process, how you process information, would you consider yourself a fast paced person or a slow paced person? Well, <laughs> which you answered very quickly. So <laughs> <laughs> just pointing that out. <laughs> so we're going to say fast paced. Would you consider yourself someone who is warm and friendly to approach or someone who's more cool and distant? Oh, um, kind of depends on the person. <laughs> um, I, I would say majority warm and friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say your majority warm and friendly too. Yeah. And you're super fun. So on the disc profile, you'll have to take the real one one day, but from my quick assessment of you, I would put you in the I category. So D I S C each one stands for something. D is dominant. I is influential. S is steady and C is cautious. So the people who are warm and friendly and fast paced are going to be these influential people. So typically love to have fun, love spontaneity, 
love to go and do fun things. They need change in their life. They're messy typically, like they don't know where everything is. The, um, they the, lose the things. Protector, so you can't see my messy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not super organized, like all. <laughs> So this is our eyes. These are our fun people that bring joy to our life, right? So you're an eye. I, my secondary is an eye. So we typically have a primary and a secondary. Your primary is probably an eye, and then you probably have another as a secondary. But my primary is a D. So the D is the dominant, which is I am very quick to make decisions, but I also tend to be more cool and distant until I know someone. In the situation like this, I I'm more of an I because I'm this is what I'm like, we're talking and, and I know how to speak like, right. Like, so this is kind of what I'm doing, but in my normal life, I'm like resting beef face, like <laughs> make quick decisions. Right. My husband is the same. So both of us are primarily D's, which means we are going to disagree a lot and be vocal about it. But here's the key to it. We respect each other. So we can disagree about things but we know not to attack each other. We know not to be super defensive. We know not to say things that we're going to regret, regret because we've learned that the hard way, mm-hmm. but we're going, and it's not unhealthy. So a lot of people think that conflict in a relationship is a bad sign. No conflict is going to happen in a healthy relationship. And most conflict, if you look at the research is never going to be agreed on. You're never going to resolve it. You're never going to come to a conclusion. Really? That seems like such a Debbie Downer, but, but in some ways it takes some of the pressure off to try and, and force yourself to come to an agreement because what you really need to learn to do is compromise. So how is it that you can get what you want and I can get what I want and we can be flexible as much as we can to both of us coming to some kind of conclusion, even though we're not going to a hundred percent agree and making sure we respect each other as we do it. Okay, coming to an agreement, compromise. Sorry. That's the most important part. And then after, after conflict, connecting together in a positive emotional way. I think it's interesting that when you said compromise, I felt disappointed because to me, compromise typically means I'm not getting my way. But you're right. It could be a win-win. It's, I just, it was interesting to me that I went, mm, when you said compromise and then you said, what, like, it's a, like, we're both getting, you know, what we want. I was like, oh, I didn't even consider that as an option. Yeah. When- so I wonder if in the past, when you've had to compromise with people, if you end up giving more than you want, yep. because you want to make sure that they're happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big people pleaser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the goal with compromise is not to just make sure the other person's happy. It's to know what your core is. Like, what is it that you are, the research calls it rigid. This is what I'm rigid on, but you want to make that as small as possible. So these are the things that absolutely have to happen. These are my non-negotiables and you want to make that as small as possible. And then you want to make your flexible space as big as possible And then you find out what the other person's non-negotiables are and they need to make their flexible space as big as possible. And then you try and find that agreement in the middle. So an example could be, um, so last year when we had to do our taxes, my husband's job, job, his, his thing he has to take on for our relationship is to do the taxes every year. So 
I, we had this conversation of, okay, taxes are due July 15th because it got extended last year. So they're due July 15th. Um, will you get them done as soon as possible? This is what I asked him. Will you get them done as soon as possible so that we won't have to file another extension? Cause we always file extensions. So will you get it done as soon as possible so we can do that? What I in what I interpreted that as, as I said, it was, will you do it now? No. What he heard when I said that was, will you be sure to do it by July 15th at 1159 PM? <laughs> right. So like, these are the two differences in what we did. And so we ended up oh. fighting about that, like two weeks later. Cause I'm like, you still haven't done our taxes. No, I haven't. So what we had to realize was what were our cores. So for me, my biggest core was, I don't want to pay another freaking penalty, right? Like I just don't want to pay the other money for him. The core was, I need you to trust that I'm going to do it. So then how do we make our circles as big as possible? Then it comes into, okay, so what is it? So then I ask, well, what is it you need from me in order to get that done so that I don't have to keep asking you about it? And, and I can you know, and then can you let me know when it's done? And then he became as flexible as he could in it of, of being willing to ask for those things and ask for help. And so it was more of a, what is it that we really both care about mm. and how can we work together to make sure that we get there? Because I didn't really care about him getting them done two months early. I just cared that we didn't have, like I said, that we didn't have to that pay it money that we didn't have to. This so was, I read this amazing book years ago because I, I was having difficulty communicating with someone I worked with and it's this book called Crucial Conversations. And it talks mm. a lot, and it, I didn't, I never would have considered it for relationships, but a, lar a large part of it was find the common ground. What are the things that yeah. you both want mm -hmm. and can agree on? And that has to be your touchstone. Yeah. I never thought to apply that to an actual relationship though. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but what about me, somebody like me who, who, oh God, I don't even know what to compromise where I don't feel like I'm giving up everything I want. I don't even know how that works. Because what usually happens is I give and I give and I give, and then I get to a point where I'm like, mm, I got nothing left. And now I'm angry. I'm resentful. And then it's like, I get to, I feel like, okay, I'm done. Like there's no saving this. Right. I have, you have gone past every boundary that I set that I didn't tell you I set. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, I, I'm, I'm out done, mm -hmm. done, done. Yeah. Part of it is by beginning with understanding what your per, what is it that you personally, what is your core? What, it, where are your non-negotiables? And when you can start there and become aware of that, then it frees you up a little to not be as defensive about all the other things, but then asking the, and really it's a conversation. I mean, you're not going to figure out what the other person's cores and non-negotiables are by guessing mm. most of the time, you're not going to read their mind. And so it's about having the conversation in a way that is not going to make the other person defensive or get the other person defensive, but instead asking, you know, I want us to work together on this. I want us to figure out a great solution. What is it that matters most to you for the outcome of this? Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. I'm going to try that one on for size. Try it on. I like that. See how it works. Let me know. Okay. Hmm. Do you have on the website, are there little like 
well, I saw that there's a workshop that people can take. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the other tools or things that people could go to the website for? Like if they're like dipping their toe in. Yeah, we have a lot of free resources. So when you go to our website, we have a free mini course called how to get your spouse back, which you referred to earlier. Mm -hmm. So people can go and get that. We also have a ton of articles. You can go to our YouTube, youtube.com slash marriage helper. We have lots of videos there. I think we're over three or 400 now, and we're posting new ones almost every day of the week in the weekday. So we have a ton going on there. We have two podcasts. So we have one called Relationship Radio that is all about marriage questions, relationship questions. And then we have another one, or I have another one called It Starts With Attraction, which I'm talking about all of those areas of the pies that we talked about earlier. And so every week I'm addressing one specific area, talking about tangible things that people can go and do to become the best they can in each area. And then we have a bunch of services and coaching and online courses for marriages and workshops for marriages that are wanting to be better or wanting to stay together. All the things. It's awesome. I'm so excited to listen to your podcast. I'm oh, I, I, I cannot <laughs> wait. I'm, I'm so as, as much as I have one, I am a very avid listener of podcasts. Like, Same. oh, I can't get enough. So, I know. No, I find myself, I'll go through like a month of just listening to every single podcast that I have saved in my thing. And then I'll get totally burned out and I'll do a month of Pandora. Do you do do Spotify? No, I, so (laughs) neither, but I do get, sometimes I get so excited by all of the podcast episodes that I want to listen to that I get overwhelmed because there's so many and I don't know where to start. And I'm like, oh gosh, there's only, it's only an hour walk. What am I going to do? And so I can't choose which one. I, I mean, I, I really do. I work myself into a little tizzy. So then I just listen to an audible book, <laughs> which I have also done as well. But so one of the things I've started doing is listening to my podcast at 1.5 speed. Oh, <laughs> and then I get through it 75% quicker so that I'm able to listen to more podcasts in a shorter amount of time. Oh, you might've just opened a big life hack. Of worms. Life hack. Oh, okay. I got to try that. Okay. So I'm curious, final thoughts. What is something that you wish any couple kind of on the brink or considering like what to do, where to go next? What is something that you wish they knew or would consider? I would encourage any couple thinking about ending things or wondering if they should, first of all, to know that they're not alone in whatever situation they're going through. Mm -hmm. And no matter how insurmountable it feels, there is hope for their situation. I would ask that person to consider doing everything they can to try and make this relationship work before calling it quits, because you're going to get so much back from that, no matter what happens in the future going forward because you will have learned amazing relationship principles that not only are going to change your life, but are going to be a positive effect on your kids, on your future relationship, or hopefully on this relationship that could hopefully be saved. I mean, the situations that we have worked with at Marriage Helper, literally counselors, therapists, pastors have said just divorce and they come to us 
and we see their marriage saved. We have seen, we work with tons of people who've had affairs. We've seen people who have been divorced for 10 years and then get remarried after we we with them. Yes. Even people who the offending spouse, so to say, is pregnant with another man's child. We have still seen those marriages saved very often. Very often. I'm thinking you're about to say one out of what? I feel oh, like yes. you buried the lead on me. <laughs> Holy moly's. There is incredible. Really, there really is hope. I believe it because I see it every day with the people that we work with. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm so sorry because I thought of something I have to ask you. Ask it. What about love bombers? Have you ever had somebody get married into love? So, and I I recently heard this term and I was like, I dated that. Somebody who like, (laughs) dated a few times where it's like hot and heavy, super, super quick. I love you. Let's meet the family, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, nothing. And then they'll come back. They just like ghost them. I don't know what this. So sometimes they ghost, but like, I do think sometimes people get caught up and get married in the love bombing stage. So it's like, um. I actually heard the term on, um, what show was that? Heather McDonald, Juicy Scoop. But it basically where it's very hot and heavy, like I love you, like very intense, very quickly. And yep. There's a term like, for that. It's called limerence. Oh, oh limerence. It's called limerence. I need you. Okay. Limerence. What That's is- the, that is the psychological term. L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C, limerence. So it's the feeling of being madly in love with someone else. And it typically happens at the beginning stage of a relationship. It can last anywhere from three to 48 months, but it's characterized by these feelings of, I mean, just complete infatuation. You're thinking of this person up to 85% of your waking hours. You are, all you can see are their positive qualities. You can't see anything negative about them. You, all you want to do is be with them. Like it's a very primal reaction. And so, yes, it's called limerence. So love bombing, but then you're saying that these people back out yes. and then come back at some point, sometimes they come back, but I, what if, what if in the midst of the love bomb or the limerence you get mm-hmm. married and then they want to leave? I mean, mm-hmm. is that a psychological thing or is that something like you can actually work through that? You can work through it. So lim- as I said before, limerence does fade. Mm-hmm. And limerence tends to fade quicker after the, the thrill of the rush of it fades. So typically after people get married and things become more stable and it's less of, you know, that thrill of being dating and, and all that stuff, then it limerence typically begins to fade. Limerence is not a bad thing in and of itself. Oh. Limerence is not a bad thing. It actually is a It's kind of a bonding process. Not every couple goes through it, but many couples do. And as long as two people are good for each other, limerence is, is, is fine. It's, it's, it's just, it it is what it is. But, but the key is that when limerence does eventually fade, because it has to biologically, it will, we can't live like that for our whole lives. So it's kind of like limerence spurs us to fall in love and want to be sexual, to procreate. But then it begins to fade because we can't just sit around and want to have sex all the time. So, so it will fade. Um, but if you haven't replaced that 
with a healthy, committed relationship by continuing to, to do the things that will attach you to each other and really grow that committed relationship, then you could fall out of limerence and just want to leave because that's when all of a sudden you're going to begin seeing the person's flaws and the things that you didn't realize before. And so some people may wake up from that and say, oh my goodness, what have I done? But, but if you've built that foundation underneath it, then it'll, they'll kind of come out of it and just realize that relationships are not perfect. Everyone is flawed, but we move through it and we move forward and we build the healthy long-term commitment underneath it. Limerence. I'm going to use that in a sentence later. <laughs> use it in a sentence. I, well, it just sounds so much more educated than love bombing. It, yeah. It's more <laughs> more, so it's more technical. Although love bombing sounds fun. Well, it does until you're on the receiving end. Until you're on the receiving end. And then it explodes and you're like, oh, Jesus. So yeah. what happened? <laughs> That's so interesting. Okay, but that is good to know. So, and I guess also when you're describing it, I think some people sometimes refer to that as the honeymoon phase, right? Where it's Mm -hmm. just like, oh, I hear angels sing every time they walk around me. And then you're like, why do you snore snow loud? Yeah, exactly. Why are you breathing? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right, that just, I meant to ask that earlier and I completely forgot. I know we, I was wrapping it up, but then I was like, no, I have to ask this question. I have, have to. to get it out. You have to. Oh, thank you. So where can people connect with you? What's the best way for them to learn more about Marriage Helper? You, yeah. all the things. Yeah. So of course, marriagehelper.com is the best way to learn there. The podcasts that I mentioned earlier, Relationship Radio or It Starts With Attraction are great. The YouTube channel at youtube.com slash marriage helper. And then I'm not super active on social media. I've been off of it about seven or eight months now and I have been so happy, but sometimes I get on. And so you can follow me on Instagram at Kimberly Beam Holmes. Um, But that, I mean, those are main ways that you can follow us. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did or you know of someone who you think would enjoy it, please share it with them. You can text them a link. You can email them a link because don't forget, we have a Breaking Labels website, www.breakinglabelspodcast.com. And that's great for people who maybe don't have an app on their phone that they can listen to the podcast. And like I say every week, thank you so much for being here. I would love to hear from you. Please don't ever hesitate to reach out and say hi. You can say hi on DM the Breaking Labels Podcast Instagram, which, by the way, is just Breaking Labels Podcast. And you can also reach out to me on my personal Instagram. The links to both are in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. I always love to hear feedback from any of the listeners of the podcast. So never hesitate to reach out. And with that, I can't wait to see you next week.